Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 70 and we are back. We apologize for the short little break as we were down in Death Valley last week. Mm. And on Monday Mm. when we were down there, we couldn't get a podcast to get sent out for us through our SoundCloud hosting. And so we're going to have to change our hosting. And talking with Tim McGowan, we have an idea. We're going to go a Blueberry. Blueberry hosting is going to allow us to actually schedule these podcasts. And we're gone like this for nine days. And then things happen and we can't put things out beforehand where it's going to schedule and release. That sucks. And we're going to fix that. And so let's go ahead, switch our hosting, get it over there. It'll change nothing on your guys' end. Um, how you receive your podcast will be the exact same. You won't even notice it, honestly. I don't even have to oh, tell you because it's so behind the scenes. It's just something that it's too bad. Last Monday, we didn't have a podcast. And yesterday, even, we didn't have a podcast out. So episode 70 is finally out. And Brendan, man, we went on an awesome trip. Go ahead and give the summary of where we went. So if you've ever heard of Death Valley National Park, that is the place we went to. Um, It is one of the hottest places on Earth during the summertime. (laughs) So it is a perfect place to go in February. Oh, man. No kidding, right? Yeah. It was about, uh, I want to say mid to high 50s during the day. Oh, dude. I think we had days that were 70, it seemed like. 60s. It it must have been mid mid to high 60s at some point. Yeah, as the week went on. The weather, uh, we did have a weather system come through, and so we did get quite a dip in uh, temperatures for a day or two. We had some crazy high winds for one day, and uh, the place is just very versatile. Uh, The landscape is very versatile, very colorful, and then some of it's very flat and salty and crazy cool as well. And so um, if you want to go to a place that has lots of versatility, anything from salt flats to sand dunes to colored mountains to, you know, yeah, just and then the weather is just as variant as the landscape itself. So, fantastic place to visit. I do not recommend they going there going there after May. Um, between May and September, I would not go. Anytime after that, <laughs> I would go. Yeah, heading down on the trip. I mean, to get started on how we were getting there, driving from Utah down through Las Vegas, we thought we could drive the whole night and be out there by the morning, not for sunrise because it would be too early in the morning for sunrise. But we thought we could do this, and uh, I just I was too exhausted. We passed Mesquite, and it felt like uh, we're gonna have to. We're gonna. Have to, you're tired. I'm tired. Let's just pull over and get a place. And man, last minute purchases of a hotel online is not as easy as you might think. I mean, yeah, the process of actually doing it's easy, but ay ay ay, Brendan, you can tell the whole escapade because I was the well, one first... sitting in the car for an hour, and you were dealing with the specifics. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, uh, the hotel website we used did not fax that information over in time. Fax? Uh, you really mean fax? They actually, yes. Oh. I went to the lady and she's like, well, I can see your confirmation number, but I don't have the details because, uh, you know, we didn't get the fax yet. And the fax is basically verifying that, yes, indeed, we did pay. Yes, indeed, the hotel will get paid and we can get our room. 
that took about 45 minutes on top of like the 15 minutes that <laughs> we first went in there and thought everything was be fine. Right. So you was... show up there. I pull up to the front. He goes inside to see something. And then you come back out and say, okay, we should get the room. Let's just go ahead and get it off of the app because it'll be cheaper here. It was the same price either way or something. It ended up being the same price, which is stupid. So. Yeah, so you filled it out on the app right there in the car next to me for five, ten minutes. And then you go back inside, and I don't see him or hear from him for 30-something minutes. It turns out because he ordered it online right there and because the lady could see your confirmation number, could see that you requested, or at least on your end, see that you mm-hmm. requested it, but then received nothing from the website that we ordered it through. Yeah, so then after about a half an hour, I called the website and like, hey, can you send them the information? Like, oh, yeah, we should have sent it, but uh, whatever. So (sighs) it was just some hiccup, and we ended up waiting for an hour total before we can get into our room. We were exhausted. Not a fun way to start because we lost like an hour of sleep, basically, which would have been great. Right. um, Going from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m., just sitting in the car waiting to go. I was falling asleep, sitting there texting and trying to play Clash Royale and falling asleep, falling asleep. (laughs) You know, it's worth an extra, even if it's 80 to 90 or $100, to not kill yourself and others (laughs) while you're driving drowsy, you know. So So then we finally get there the next day. We're hanging out with Jeff Peterson and Tim McGowan, and Jeff Peterson's got a great setup with a trailer that we can sleep in. So he's Mm. got this awesome RV trailer-like setup, and he's got comfortable Lazy Boy chairs that he and Tim are sitting in, and we've got a couch to hang out on. And it was bliss, man. It was our best photog adventure yet outside of just being in a hotel the whole time in Oregon and even the hotels in Oregon we were in pretty crappy places so Jeff's location Mm, and being in that mm -hmm. trailer was fantastic if you're traveling in Death Valley it's easy to travel out 14 miles and come back if you have a place that's home base that is it was beautiful and so we ended up being in that home base of his trailer at the sunset campground and then went out for sunrise Milky Way and sunset so we're going to go through our entire trip of Death Valley based on what we did for Sunset, some Milky Way, Sunrise. We'll just jump through Sunset, Milky Way, Sunrise for all of them, starting with day one when we went out with Jeff and Tim to look for cracks for the sunset. And, Brendan, what, did, what was it like for you as you're going out on these cracks? Because we've seen these cracks. People have taken mm-hmm. pictures of them. And in person, you don't realize how tiny some of these cracks are. Mm-hmm. And these inch cracks I expected to be two to three inches and they ended up being half an inch to an inch. And so I'm looking for my favorite one of them. And I don't know, I was just wandering around. How did it go for you? The thing is the sun is high above these mountain range. And uh, as sunset starts to happen, the mountains block the sun like a lot really fast. So we always felt like we had more time than we did. And that seemed to be like repeated throughout the uh, <laughs> yeah. throughout the trip. You'd see a high sun. I mean, golden hour starts. You got the best light. You're thinking, okay, what do I want to capture? Well, when that best light happens at that higher or lower angle of the sun, but you see how high up in the sky it is, you lose track of the fact that look how close it is to kissing the tops of those mountains. And then mm-hmm. once it starts to, man, that shadow crosses you in front of you like three minutes. Just boom, it's go, it's gone over. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Once you have like the perfect light, then you get like ten minutes to work, and that's it. So um, <laughs> that because was the that most east, frustrating that east part. Side, yeah, that east side mountain range is really tall, and so um, it blocked the sun a good twenty minutes, a half an hour before the actual sunset happened. And then we'd have to wait. You know, we'd have this nice light. It'd be a nice diffused light. But then we'd have to wait another half an hour after that light was there to get to see if any of the clouds would blow up and get pink and, you know, all that stuff. So Yeah, some color in the sky didn't happen. You just had yeah. golden light hitting your subject. 
And so the challenge of these cracks out there in Death Valley is that everything is in the valley of these mountains and you're going to have mountains block your sunrise and sunset. That golden hour is is shortened by a lot and you're panicking. You're out there looking at cracks like, is this crack better than that crack? I don't know. Is that crack better? And you're thinking (laughs) you're getting down low. You're holding your camera. I spend a lot of time, unlike normal, where I just have my lens cap off and I was looking through my viewfinder and trying Mm -hmm. to find my composition that way because I just wanted to see how it looked through the millimeter of my Tamron lens. So I was sitting out at the widest. Then I would try some zoomed in at 30, okay, back to 15. And I just, okay, do these cracks look good in this frame? Are they interesting? Because when you look at them with your own eyes, you see hundreds of cracks. You get that framing Mm -hmm. of your Mm -hmm. camera and you see a few cracks. You're starting to see what makes some, some cracks stronger and stronger as a foreground subject versus the other ones. But I just I started seeing that shadow creeping across and I knew I had seconds and it was just panic mode, panic mode and uh I would say resignation. <laughs> just I, yes. I resigned myself to the shadow and said, "No, oh, screw it." Oh, okay, okay. Um I did find uh we did find a couple small trees that were probably about, I don't know, a foot or two high. Hey, yeah, just barely. These little dead dry trees that it looked like they were going to live, you know. They looked like they were pretty dead. Thankfully, no one and, had crushed um, them, you know, kind of trees. Yeah, yeah, because they usually could bushes. be. Really, really dry and brittle, it looked like. And uh, first off, the mud was really interesting. I mean, we rock, went walking in those mud cracks, and I was expecting it to be, like, kind of soft and stuff. It was as hard as concrete. And so you have these ginormous cracks, like, as wide as your thumb, you know, uh, yeah. and these concrete, really hard concrete, like – uh, feel to the ground <laughs> and then uh, when you kneel down you get these little sharp rocks in your knees and you're like okay yeah this is really hard sharp ground <laughs> and so um you found we found this little tree then I, when i was walking back towards the car i found another little tree that i like more and it's a little bit smaller and uh so i took a few shots of that to kind of get an idea um that when we go back to the milky way this might be kind of a cool subject you know to shoot so right and the other thing about this area that you don't realize before you go is while there are photographs of these really close up and you see them all tight on some of these cracks, it looks like they go forever. It's a small little area. You're talking like mm-hmm. half a football field of cracks and you were expecting it to be almost a mile wide of cracks, but no, it's not nothing even close to that. You have gullies that break up the scenery. You have clutter and debris of rocks that are, you know, there's not just flat terrain of cracks, there's other areas that are going to be in the way. And so if you go too far right or too far left, you start to get some of that distracting elements of those other textures that are up there on that desert sand mud. And so you try and stay kind of towards the middle of the crack so you can get sort of a nice view of only cracks in your shot. But then you're also limiting yourself there for a composition because you're trying to avoid certain edges and certain things in view. It's just, it was much smaller of an area than I expected. Yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of like a little mud flow had happened. And then as it dried, these cracks formed. But the mud flow was kind of just like in between like these dry uh, washes, you know. And so it's really interesting how that all began because some were cracked. And then if you go over like... Uh, 30 feet, then the the ground just looks like normal ground, like normal dirt. Right. So it's really interesting to see what what could have caused the distinct difference between these two. 
Yeah, that, that completely different terrain. Um, the last thing I'll say about these cracks for that sunset that first night before we go on to the next thing is that they are on a hill that kind of slopes up towards the east. And so the better look mm-hmm. and the better view is looking away from the sunset. And so you, unless you have clouds up there getting some light, you really aren't going to see any of the colors of the sunset. You have to turn around. On the other side of the road, you know, you can see these cracks in front of you, but they still slope down towards the lower part of the valley, you know, just gradually. And so things mm-hmm. are sloping away from you, and it's better to look at them as they're sloping up instead of looking down the slope. So looking up the slope was a better view, a better cool framing, a better composition, but then you were looking away from the sunset the whole time. And when we went back to the cracks a few nights later, we're not going to talk about them too much. And so Brendan has a 1 to 400 lens, and you were actually capturing some cracks plus the distant sunset. Did you find yourself mm-hmm. having a better time when you could see the sunset colors and the clouds that were in the distance versus when we had wide open blue skies where it was just yellow sand, blue skies? Well, it was definitely a different composition. I mean, I got down really low, like ground level. Like I was basically on my lap sitting down and resting the uh, camera in my lap and getting that low of an angle where the camera is basically on the ground. Yeah. And uh, camera body's on the ground, lens is resting on my, on like my uh, shin, you know, and then I'm shooting these rocks and little tiny um, bushes or branches and stuff and, uh, and just getting really low so I can get that um, off to the distant really far off. There's some sunset happening, not right above us, but it was like way off to the north. And so um, some of those turned out pretty cool. I mean, I really accentuated the rocks. The rocks looked way bigger than they would normally because these rocks are just the size of like my hand and my fist and yet they're taking up, you know, a third of the frame. And so <laughs> right. with the lens that long, you can really zoom in and make something look really cool. And, and with the higher F stop, you can really get some clarity in the background to get those clouds to pop a little bit. Right on. Awesome. So we'll hit up on that a little bit later again, but uh, as of that night, we just decided, okay, let's go get some food. Let's eat dinner, rest, hang out, and get some sleep because we have a 3 a.m. Milky Way morning call. You know, we got to mm. wake up early to get out there. 2.45, I think, is when we set our alarm so that we can get up and go because Milky Way in February is very early in the morning and it's butted up against the astronomical twilight, and so you only have as much time as it's a, the Milky Way has finally risen, and then, but from the time that it's risen and is visible to you, plus astronomical twilight not washing it out. So, man, we went out, and we set up for a spot that if you drive towards Badwater and you look out to the right, there's these mudflats, and you can go out further into them and see um, lots of texture, and lots of shapes of rocks. I mean, it's not any rock, right? What's out there? It's not rock as much as it's, it's just mud rock. and mud and salt mixed together. Made this really hard rock salt that was two to three to four inches thick. Uh, you know, crust, and they were like colliding, and like as it would like grow, they would like collide and push each other up and create these giant like almost like salt icebergs, you know, with right. the mud mixed in. It was really crazy. And so we were excited about this one that Jeff saw that had a nice curve. 
it kind of curved out and would point right at the mountains where the Milky Way core was going to be above. And so during the night before it got dark, we, we drove out there, figured out the spot that we wanted to be, and then remembered it and came back to the trailer so that in the morning, the first thing we were going to do, we thought, okay, book it out to this spot. Let's take a couple Milky Way shots. And by 4.38, we got to be out of here so we can go to the cracks and quickly get a Milky Way with you know, 20 minutes to spare is all we really had mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. cracks. And so at the spot with these salt ridges and the high points, I had a challenge of getting a composition where I wanted to use the salt ridge because I got down there to have this ridge of salt sort of be a leading line towards the Milky Way. But as I was thinking about my focus, thinking about my panorama that I was going to take with the 24 millimeter and trying to hurry all of that process and be done by 438, it never occurred to me how close I was getting to my subject. And when you're focused to infinity, everything's in focus to a point. You have a hyperfocal distance, and anything beyond that is all in focus. But if you're too close to a subject, it will be blurry. And I spent the entire time foolishly getting my shot, excited about the panorama, and excited about the light painting that we were doing, and exciting, well, the low-level lighting, I should say, we were doing, and excited about the fact that we had this leading line. But in my little LCD screen on the back, and you can't see the little focus that changed from the point of about seven feet out and back towards the bottom of the frame, all of that progressively got fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier. And it's it sucks, because now in the final crop of my image, I kind of have to crop out the only thing that was interesting about my foreground because my foreground had some character with that salt ridge that shaped that shaped mm. its way towards the Milky Way core. Without it, everything is this clutter, like the kind of look of gossamer waves on the top of an ocean where the sunlight is hitting at a, at a very acute angle. And you can see that, okay, look at this sunlight hitting across the tops of these waves and all the chop on these waves. And you can see the peaks and the chop. You can see the peaks that are going on there and everything. And you can get details from that. And everything kind of blends together as sameness. Everything's similar and the same. And so all of my foreground that was light painted was this sameness of all of that light painted tops, these cresting tops of waves. And they were all flat. They had a black part where the horizon was with the terrain and then the black lines of the outlines of the mountains in the distance and then the Milky Way sky. So now that I've lost my really cool subject that actually kind of broke the plane in the foreground and gave something that went up and had a shape to it, now I crop that out and I only have just texture on the bottom third and it's all the same. Nothing breaks the plane going up. Everything is in this similar rectangle of space in that part of the frame and then I have my outlines of the mountains and then there's the Milky Way sky and so just if I had focus stacked I could have used it but because I didn't think to focus stack I I messed it up I was thinking about everything else I knew I was in a hurry and I skipped that step and uh, I focus stacked the rest of the trip I tried to get down low but I didn't get down as low I don't think as you did um, to really try to get some of those big chunks to break the plane Mm -hmm. they're definitely in my foreground and you can see they're being lit from the top you know highlighted basically and mount to the background i did do a pano that i um have yet to complete but i did did just check out the images and they look okay so i'm interested to see how the pano turns out and if the milky way is is sharp and uh and i think overall it'd be okay interesting image but it's very it's very brown uh the the mud mixed with the salt made a very very brown uh foreground and then with the black mountain in between, it's very like a monochrom- monochromatic, you know, like brown what? image. Right. You know? 
It really was. The Milky Way itself was kind of a yellowy brown, and then you'd get like the dark, you know, black mountains in the brown <laughs> foreground. This is a very, very chocolatey image. It was. Image, it know. did look like a chocolatey image, and they had these defining flat lines between them, and then the mountains had their shape, but then there's nothing else to it. And so in the end, when I look at that shot, I don't really love it. It's not like a shot that I want to be a portfolio piece because mm-hmm. the Milky Way looks nice, but we got the distant Las Vegas lights, early Milky Way season from Death Valley. You're looking southwest, and you're looking practically right at Vegas, and so even though it's low in the frame because it's so far away, it's still in the frame. So you got the yellowing of the sky from that that you have to ramp down. And then you got the chocolate, you know, ocean that's underneath us and then the the black. And it just wasn't enough to really show off the Milky Way. So I was loving it the most when I went to the tree over at the like when we went back to the cracks, I went to a tree and you went to a tree. Everyone kind of picked a tree to get in the foreground and have that be something that broke the plane. I just messed it up again on how close I got to it. And even though I thought I focus stacked, I didn't focus stack correctly. You know how the tree was sort of a nice pom-pom shape and it Mm -hmm. had branches reaching towards me? So there was a depth of field issue with getting some of those closest branches facing towards me actually being in focus. I'd get like a couple branches in focus or I would get none of the tree, a little bush in focus. Mm. And so I ended up having a focus stacking issue again and I really only ended up with 10 minutes of taking a shot before Astronomical Twilight began. So I really wanted a Milky Way shot over at those cracks again and we never got a chance to go back. Unfortunately, we never did. Yeah, that's true. So when Jeff and I got to the cracks, we found, we went to the little tree that I found earlier. And um, so he joined me and we both laid basically down on our bellies to get as low as we could to this thing. And so we can get, you know, so we can get the whole tree in the frame going over breaking the horizon line and the Milky Way above it. So to do that, you've got to get really low to the ground. And so we were just out there shooting and then we had set up a light by his truck that was providing our lighting, our foreground for the low level light, but it just wasn't enough to really like it basically put the tree in a shadow. And so um, I decided I was going to try my phone as a mini light panel to put that between us on the ground, shining up at the tree. And by putting it at a very low brightness and turning on the night option, which turns it a little bit more orangey. I think that's the best tip in this entirely is that you actually went into the iPhone settings and made it the night option that takes the blue light off of it because that's right. And that way, yeah. Yeah. And that way it kind of matched up the orange tint that's coming from the light panel we had set up and it kind of matched up close enough that uh, it really didn't distract too much from uh, the other light and really created a nice image having that foreground lit up and being able to see that little tiny tree a little bit better but it looked like a huge tree because it's literally taking up like from top to bottom <laughs> right. of the frame. So it was really cool and fun to do that. And uh, I'm excited about working that picture some more because the way that I had positioned that tree was right in the Milky Way core where the branches are touching the core and the core and the rest of the Milky Way is coming out from the tree is really cool. Yeah, and we've got another Instagram account now that we're going to start doing all of our Milky Way stuff, solely Milky Way on this account so that if you like Milky Way photography only, following this Instagram account for Photog Adventures, you can see everything, the Astro the Astro Photog, pod, the Astro Photog Instagram account. So Brendan, if that shot turns out 
even if it turns out just okay, hook me up. Let's do it. Let's put that mm-hmm. on there. Let's mm-hmm. get that on that Instagram account. So yeah. after this Milky Way just all of a sudden was gone, it felt like just like the shadows coming across and taking out the good mm-hmm. light, the light in the sky bloomed up, everything's blue, and then you take your next shot and you realize, oh, astronomical twilight has begun. When astronomical yeah. twilight has begun, the sun's up high enough that it's starting to light the sky and it gets blue and the Milky Way's being washed out. And so we bailed and everyone took off to go down to bad water to do a sunrise. And last time Brennan and I were there, it was totally flooded, and we only went mm-hmm. out so far. But this time, we got a chance to hike way out in there, about a mile or so in, and really get a chance to see some of the shapes that are possible there. But because of recent rains, they took a different shape, and they weren't completely uh, – they weren't high or they weren't shaped really strong, but they had some sweet lines. So what did you think about the Badwater area? Yeah, Badwater is cool. I mean, um, that's that's what's cool about Death Valley is you really can do like a nice Milky Way shot. And then after the sun rises, you just head over to your next location for sunrise. It's really awesome. Um, so when we got to Badwater, we hiked out significantly farther than we did the first time. And the first time oh, last yeah. year, basically, it was so wet that uh, we didn't feel like hiking very far out there at all. And because uh, we didn't just have we didn't have the appropriate uh, footwear for that. And so um I think I saw some people walking in their bare feet, but then the, sh- the ice crystals underneath oh, were like really sharp. Miserable. Yeah. And so just like, uh, let's not do that. So this year is completely dry, totally different um, set of circumstances. And we could really just hike out. We hiked out there for like a mile. I mean, it, it was pretty far from where we parked the car. And the further you get out, the more pristine and the less interrupted uh, the salt crystals are. And so it was cool to hike out to a certain point. Um, it wasn't as cool to see other photographers hike out past us so we can, they can get in our frame. That wasn't very awesome. But <laughs> as you walk um, out straight, guys, you have a shot. You can look towards the, the south and see the lights in the skies. You know, as you don't have any clouds, you can see the lights in the skies there and get a good shot where you have some color. But normally you kind of wait for the sunlight to come up and then hit the mountains over there on the west side of Badwater and you get a shot with the Badwater mountains lit nice and golden and then the area that you're you know, right there, that you, that white salty crystal look. People kept walking further out past us and more west and they were all standing in the frame. We would have to walk out as far as they were just to get no one in the frame to see Badwater exactly. between us and those mountains and it was sucky. It was ruining it. Yeah, so that's one thing is, um, you know, as a photographer, you can be considerate. If you're walking past someone that's taking a shot in that general direction, just give them a heads up. Like, hey, is it okay if I walk out here or is it going to be in your frame? And maybe let them get their shot first before you interrupt their shot. It's kind of a common courtesy kind of thing, I think, because these guys never said anything. One guy said something to us. The other guy did. He just kept walking past. Yeah. And uh, then he ended up being way out there. And it just, we'd have to mat, we'd have to hike, hike out there another half mile just to match him so he's not in our shot. And that's kind of inconsiderate. Huh. Yeah, and that's you know. the tough part is when you see someone's cameras facing the other direction, you think, I'm fine, I can keep walking. So if you don't really know what happens there and how things are usually a really good shot, you might not realize you're stepping in front of another photographer and going into his composition. So when you go and you see other photographers out there before you, Ask them, where are you guys planning on being? If I go out this direction, will I be in your way? And then as a group, you guys can all move out there together. I mean, he wouldn't even have to hike as far as he did, and he could have mm-hmm. gotten the exact same shot because everything's mm-hmm. the exact same. It's so flat. Nothing changes. It's just maybe yeah, that and, crystal shape in front of you changes. Right, and and the, the crystal shapes are all kind of cellular looking, and they don't really change a whole lot variant, but 
the further out you go, I can understand it being more like pristine and less like some people walk around and kick the kick the little yeah. you know barriers off of the of the shape, but. <clears throat> it's really good way I to describe it. I can't see it's... that really being much different, though. You know, right? Yeah, you did a really good job describing it as cellular because you picture these little circles and geometric shapes, and they do have these boundaries and all the circles. And those boundaries have ridges that are up about an inch and a half, and so people walk over those and kick those down or flatten them, and then the whole cellular shape is gone. That cell shape is gone, and so it'd be cool if uh, you walk in the middle or up on places that have already been broken. If you're out in that kind of area, you just kind of see other steps. Follow those steps and don't add to the broken uh, parts. Yeah, and you can't really control that. I mean, it's tourists and kids and stuff. And so that's why I understand walking further out to avoid, you know, to get more of that pristine, untouched look. And yeah, you know. For sure. I think with sunrise and taking a shot, anything that went well or didn't go well for you in the sunrise? I mean, the sunrise was just fairly boring. I mean, it was great for Milky Way because there's no clouds in the sky, right. but that means that there was no clouds in the sky for sunrise. <laughs> like an hour later. Yeah. And so an hour later we looked, still no clouds. So we just get some cool, you know, sunrise colors in the clouds, but most of, mostly I'm focusing on the ground and cropping out a lot of the sky because it's just not that interesting. So. Yeah. And I was looking to find my really favorite shape and just like the cracks, you sit there and you look at these shapes thinking, is this the cool shape? And so many of these shapes have a nice circle that is a weird, funny geometric pattern or geometric shape to it. So you get this kind of like looking and zooming in on a leaf. Like he says, cellular, you're looking in a leaf and you see those, those patterns. And when you focus on one and put it in the center of your frame, it looks like a spider web coming off of it. And I didn't really want that look, but no matter where I went, it looked like a spider web. Basically, mm this six, seven-sided geometric shape had seven versions around it of the same shapes, and they made their same circle shapes. And so no matter what I did, I had a flower pattern with a shape in the middle. And so I was trying to find out if I want to overlap maybe some of those ridges and have them come out of the bottom of my frame, or do I want to not cut off any of the ridges and keep an entire full geometric shape in frame and not cut off at any point? And I ended up settling on one that had a different height and a, like a different width from the top and bottom of its shape that kind of gave it a little bit more character. But honestly, I wandered around thinking I was going to find something that just stood out to me. It doesn't. It didn't, at least yeah. for me that morning. It wasn't something that was obvious that I could go, oh, yeah, there's the one. That's it. No, because this is a very repetitive pattern. And so you really don't get that sense of one thing being really different than the other. You've got to get down really low. And just explore your options, uh, I think, closer to the ground. But then you lose a lot of that background. So you try higher up and then you're just like, okay, (laughs) it's really a unique challenge for sure. It is. And Jeff mentioned even bringing out a tall ladder because he'd be really cool to get a higher view and look down. And then you don't lose all of those shapes and the patterns Mm -hmm. that you're seeing. And if you're down, you're just kind of getting a few of them and the rest are all um, compressed together as you flattened out that scene. And so it's a trade-off. It's a major trade-off. And I think if you're going to go out there and you only have one morning to enjoy it, walk out to a place that's pristine and doesn't have any steps on it, and then just make the most of it. Get down there and try four or five different versions of that shot because I bet you can find something great out of that and it wouldn't have made any difference if you spent 20, 30 minutes like I did looking for another one to stand out only to find out nothing else is going to stand out. Nothing else is going to be like, hey, Aaron, I'm your portfolio piece right here. Bing, 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 flashing lights. I didn't have anything that Mm -hmm. hit me. I thought my instincts would pop in and, you know, I'd be like, yeah, this is the one, but 
It never happened. Instincts. <laughs> My instincts. I wish I could have just gone down and chosen one and just really made it shine with higher, lower, this left, this right, and just fixed my framing, my composition that way, instead of thinking that going to a completely different set of shapes were going to solve the problems for me. Mm, yeah. So then that was our sunrise at Badwater, and now we're thinking, okay, let's get some food, some breakfast, and we don't have anything really until the sunset. And so before we go out to this sunset, we're thinking, let's check out these kilns. They're these, oh, man, what, charcoal kilns? They were charcoal kilns up there, and these yeah, mining. Yeah, part of a refinery or something, yeah. Yeah, the, I, I don't even really know the history of it, but if you've seen them before, you know what I'm talking about when I say they look like an, an, a fat, cone a fat cone that goes up it has a one door and i think the top has a hole in it right there's the opening in the front and there was a back window sort of like an exhaust high up it was high up yeah these kilns are really cool because they're very you know it's just a family of triplets or quadruplets or in this case there were seven or so of them all in mm. a row and they're really tucked in tight and they just have been created so well and balanced that they, they really stand out as a pretty feature, but getting out mm -hmm. to that terrain was a rocky, slow drive. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a great place for sunset photography, but it would have been a good place for Milky Way. We checked it on photo pills, and it lines up just in a couple weeks. I think it was this month and the next month and a few months later, it lined up really well. And once it goes more southwest, it would pull away from there, or at least it would pull away from them enough that you couldn't see the entrances of the kilns. But imagine low-level lighting in each one, having them light mm. up. And then on the front, you see the faces of them light up, and you see the Milky Way in the distance. I've seen a Royce Bear shot just like that on another set of kilns like these. It is gorgeous. And so I would love to do that. But it was just already in shadow by midday, you know, in that in that area. So having a sunset shot out in that spot was not necessary. So we didn't hang out there. Mm -hmm. We just headed back, you know. And heading back, once again, we experience the quick light of the Death Valley and how we get out of the car with what feels like 40 minutes to spare. And it turns into four minutes to spare. Right. So we got out and walked on the mud flats. Uh, again, the sun was setting those high mountains again. And so it really <laughs> blocked the light fast. We did see a guy flying around his ultralight or, or paraglider yeah, or whatever it was. It was kind of cool. It is really cool, but it's just frustrating yeah. for a couple of guys who want to film with a drone, and they're not allowed to film with a drone, but this dude's allowed to ride a propeller up into the sky. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know if it's a special thing with um, with uh, Death Valley per se, but uh, I know in other national parks they don't want those propelled aircrafts in the air and maybe maybe you can get a special permit in death valley to fly those but this guy was out there in a couple of days actually so yeah nobody nobody told him not to do that and i thought that was kind of interesting how they can do that but we can't fly drones so, right mm, it's like let us buy a permit double for standard a drone. let us buy a one yeah. day one hour permit something man oh it would have been cool so this guy flies over my head in a propeller you know seat and i can't fly a tiny little drone but anyway, that's beyond the point. Yeah. It's beautiful out there. And even just on the left side of the mesquite sand dunes where it was a little bit more mud cracks, the terrain is so interesting and so di diverse. And so yeah. all throughout Death Valley and you're driving up and down, you're going to see a ton of diverse textures on the ground and your surface. And everything's very samey and flat, but you can get really interesting, full of character foreground subjects that are going to make your shot work. Just be prepared to enjoy the early parts of golden hour and either exposure blend or time blend, you know, with another shot when the sun goes down and the sky gets good or just uh, dealing with the golden hour light only because that's all you're going to get. Yeah. And so, uh, 
looking forward to the next day um we uh, checked the weather and it was going to be yeah. crazy high winds and we did experience that so and the problem with having high winds in a sandy area uh, yeah okay the sky will be clear but the milky way i mean how do you shoot a nice full of clarity milky way shot when you got a dust cloud of wind bringing uh, wind bringing sand everywhere it's just it was wasn't worth it yeah no it wasn't uh this wind got up to 25 uh miles an hour steadily and burst up to 40 and so it wasn't worth the risk to you know damage our eyes damage equipment right. uh, you know all that Ooh, stuff glass hitting the sand blasting the glass Ooh. yeah just not not worth it so you know so we did take that day that night off and, and we were hanging uh, out that night sitting in the trailer and we feel those gusts of winds hitting us it mm-hmm. was confidence mm-hmm. building like okay yeah we're definitely not going out for milky way and we won't even go out for the sunrise because it's just it's too crazy it's going to be blocked yeah and so yeah, i was just yeah when you're on a trip like this and you get a chance that an external reason says, hey, it's okay for you to sleep in and just you know get some rest. You're not missing out. It's really nice. It's really nice to take that time and get away. So we all just slept in, didn't do that. We decided, you know what? Instead, let's go out tomorrow night to the racetrack, Playa, racetrack Playa, where you have those rocks that are moved by the ice. And let's go out and get an awesome sunset there. And so we're preparing for a whole day that we're just going to rest, get some food, get ready to go, and then make that long 26, 27-mile drive on the very crappy road. First, you have to drive to you know an hour and a half, and then you drive an hour and a half on a crappy road. If you imagine mm. a map and you see Mesquite Sand Dunes and Racetrack Ply on the bottom of the map, and they're at an even height, you drive past Mesquite Sand Dunes all the way to this point, like the top of a mountain, and then you go back down the mountain all the way back down to Racetrack Ply. If you went by air, you can drop from Mesquite Sand Dunes over to Racetrack Playa with no effort at all. But because we mm-hmm. have to go on the only roads available to us that are paved, you go all the way to this top point, go to Ubihibi Crater, and then you have to go on the dirt roads going down, then you can get to Racetrack Playa around all these mountains. It's it's nuts. It's crazy. It's a lot more work than it should be, so we decided, okay, tomorrow we'll do that, and hey, it's going to be a blast, because when we get there, it's going to be beautiful, as long as we can just get there. Yep. So let's go ahead and talk about whether or not we got there after this first break. Hey guys, we are doing adventure workshops this year and one of our only ones that are for sale right now, which won't be for very long, we're having another one come out this week, is the Faroe Islands Adventure Workshop. If you guys want to come out to the undiscovered Faroe Islands and then say stop by Iceland on your way there and your way out, this is going to be a fantastic workshop where we have James Kelly, who his wife is from there, and he has been for years traveling throughout the Faroe Islands and he really knows the area well. He's going to help us get amazing shots. If you've ever wanted to go to the Faroe Islands, it's in 194 days. If you guys are interested in this workshop, go out to photogadventures.com forward slash adventures or click on the adventure workshops button at the top menu and you will see this Faroe Islands adventure. Click on the big yellow button and you'll see all the information about it. This goes from September 10th to September 17th and all of the itinerary and plans for this trip are on there and you guys can buy it right from that spot. So thanks so much. Hope you guys will join us. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is segment two, and we're going to talk about our trip out to sunset at the racetrack. Playa. Finally, bucket list and, item. Couldn't wait to get out there. Yeah. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I saw these rock formations, or not, I mean, not the, the rocks that would race across this track, <laughs> yeah. and I remember thinking, that's amazing. Like, I would love to go check that place out. Like, where is that? And I forgot it was in Death Valley, because um, it's you know one of those things you watch on National Geographic or whatever, and 
and you see the mystery and nobody knew how it happened. It was just this mystery for years and years and years. And so um, I've wanted to go out there for a long time and see, you know, see this place and see what actually happens. And I've heard lots of stories and mysteries around it. So I was really excited to go. And um, uh, on the way there, we have to you have to drive on this paved road to get to this dirt road that takes you out there. On the paved part of the road, you actually stop by the Ubihibi Crater, which is actually a really cool <laughs> place too. Really cool place to stay and a big old crater, just a quick drop off and look into it. It yeah. was cool. Yeah, it was neat. And there's a there's a path that you can go down into it and stuff and lots of stuff you could do there. Um, it's an exploded Again, I would not advise volcano. doing that. Uh, is it? Yeah. Is that what it is? It's an exploded volcano. Okay. It's not a crater from like a meteor that hit there and there's a meteorite in the center. This is an exploded volcano and it's not huge, but it's big you know it's very big yeah and you can tell by the by the shape and the color of the rocks and stuff it's just very interesting a very cool place um so that was fun to just kind of stop off and look at real fast again the winds were blowing pretty fast it was just a chilly enough to uh, get us back in the car quickly <laughs> it was i remember that and uh <laughs> yeah so you know then we got to the dirt road and uh we're going in there and we're passing other people and and it looks like uh lots of people enjoy going out there on their four-wheel drives and people have been and, talking uh, about that dirt road being much better than it's ever been and mm-hmm, they really mm-hmm. graded it and fixed it well maybe those people went a month ago and they did grade it but the problem is there's these freaking rental jeep rentals that are there and jeff was explaining to me that anytime you have that washboard that's happening on the road, and I never realized this before, but the washboard is all from people who are driving way too fast, and their shocks are going. And the reason why it has that rhythmic, you know, valley hill, valley hill, valley hill, valley hill, is because their shocks are, are basically bouncing their vehicle. Boom, 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 boom. And mm. once they're vibrating and bouncing on that road, they're pounding in the shape that is the washboard, and it's like tearing away at the road. And so if people would go a freaking normal speed through there, it would be fine. It'd be beautiful. But because they go way too fast because they have this rented Jeep they don't care about and that they're flying mm. through there and having their shocks just shatter the road, all the grading that they did has made the road just full of washboard moments and not that flat, and you're still feeling like it's just you got to go slow. And so what you're driving is about 27 miles, but it's going to take you an hour plus to do. And so right. that's – And it's not fun. No. Going over those washboards uh, when you're going fa- fast or slow, it's really not that fun. So <laughs> no, and when, at one point Jeff had to speed up for to get something real quick, and he went the 60, 70, 80 miles per hour or something that we went, and that felt smooth. He showed me how this is why people do it is because their ride's really smooth, but they're tearing up the road doing this, and mm. so he showed me for about thirty yards, and I was like, well, okay, yeah, I can see why they do it, but this is. This is freaking nightmarish. And so you're just, I don't know, it's not car sickness. Is it car apathy? You're just, you're done with it. <laughs> you just don't want to be there anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. After so much washboard action, you just get, you just get rattled and you're just done. Yeah, with that rattling feeling. So, yeah. So sorry, I jumped in on you when you were talking about it. What were you about to say? Oh, so you were with Jeff and his truck, and I was with, uh, you know, with Tim and his, and uh, we were having a conversation about, tires and stuff and you know when you, you typically think about your tires and if they're going to be okay on this kind of road there's lots of uh, stuff going on lots of rocks and lots of ridges and stuff and you got to pull over and there's not a wide enough it's not wide enough for two trucks to pass by so you kind of got to get on the sides and pull over and it's just really interesting and so you know he was thinking uh, you know these are just factory tires 
and uh, hopefully they're going to be okay. He's like, he's not worried about the train because he's a four-wheel drive vehicle, but uh, the tires were stock tires from the factory, and he's just like, well, you know, they're street tires, but hopefully they'll be okay because this road really isn't that bad. It's just uh, it's just a dirt road, but uh, yeah, sure enough, we uh, started hearing something within a few minutes of uh, like tire pressure alert, ding, ding, ding. We're like, oh, <laughs> we better go out and check that. So we slow down. We check outside. He jumps out. He looks the back. He looks the front tire, and I would and I and I knew that on the computer, uh, the screen it was showing us because the back tire that was losing pressure, and he looks at the front tire and he's like, "Oh man, we're screwed." It's like, "Uh, what does that mean?" And so I get out and I see both tires on the driver's <laughs> side were flat. Oh my gosh, that was the worst. And we've experienced this before with our mud flats <laughs> a year and a half ago. With our trying to recover our Go, our GoPro, we went out. We went through two flat tires in one weekend. This is two flat tires in the same instance. Yeah, is really not cool. That's the I'm stranded moment because I don't keep three or four tires on me. Jeff and I were ahead of you guys, and we made it to the Tea Kettle Junction, and this is 18.3 miles in on the crappy road, and we're sitting mm-hmm. out there. And between Jeff and Tim, they have a connection with the ham radio, and they're talking to each other. And Jeff gets on there and just checks to see how come you guys haven't shown up yet behind us at T Kittle Junction. He started letting out some air in his tires so that the rest of the drive would be comfortable. And I'm doing some Photog Adventure video. And someone out there with a blue tea kettle that they put on there, they had nothing on the bottom. I didn't feel too guilty for putting our sticker on the bottom of it. So there's a Photog Adventure sticker out there on a tea kettle junction. So if you see a blue, <laughs> a blue a uh, tea kettle, you're gonna see underneath it Photog Adventures. And if only our Photog Adventure sticker also said, "Get out there and have a Photog Adventure of your own." But the tea kettle junction thing's nuts. If you guys have never been out there, there's a sign that says tea kettle junction directions this way to that and this way to this, and you know continue on for racetrack playa, blah blah blah. Well, everyone has gotten into the fact that it's a tea kettle, and they started hanging tea kettles on this. And there are uh, maybe 100 or so at this point (laughs) tea kettles all over the signs. And it's just nuts, and it's cool. And people come and put their new tea kettle on there and have, you know, Chris was here February 2017. And I think that's pretty awesome, even though they're crazy littering, but it's all part of the theme. And so it was fun to see that, (laughs) film it. And then Jeff gets, gets a call, and we hear... Uh, blah blah roadside emergency or he these guys jeff and tim they've been in the firehouse and they've worked as firefighters for decades and they've worked together and so they have all these terminology from being a ham radio operator as well as working in you know law enforcement you know firefighter and stuff they know these terms and so he used some you know more formal term about blah 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 i'm out i need medical assist mechanical assistance or something and he kind of cut out and then it comes back and we hear Four tires flat. And we're like, what? Of four tires flat. Blah, 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 of four tires flat. And we're thinking, oh, my gosh. And there's, there's no way he has all four tires flat. <laughs> I hope he said one of four tires flat. But then we started thinking, no, nah, if he's going to say I have a flat tire, he'll say we have a flat tire. So the fact that he said mm. blank of four tires flat, he's got to have more than one. And we're thinking, not all four. It can't be all four. So we're driving back trying to find you, Brendan, and thinking, how many tires are going to be flat when we get there? And sure enough, we see that entire truck with the camper on it all tilted to the right uh, or all tilted to the left as the entire driver's side tires were all flat. Now, Mm -hmm. before most of you think classic Photog Adventures, flat tire, you know what? 
I wasn't driving, Brennan wasn't driving, and the tires all went flat on Tim's side. It was Tim's side of the tires went flat. Brendan's <laughs> side was fine. And so, if anything, Post Dog Adventures, you know, myself and Brendan only talking about it, we didn't cause any flat tires. It wasn't on our side. We didn't do it. It was someone else. But yeah, seriously. Yeah, so I'm 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 gonna blame it on just the rocks being a little too sharp for uh, street you know street rated factory tires. You definitely need to have some four wheel drive knobby or or maybe at least at least all terrain you know type tires for that road i would not trust street tires on that road Uh, no kidding it's crazy too because we're already feeling like we're cursed and this has happened yet again but maybe there's something Mm -hmm. out there that you guys drove over that was really sharp or punctured and so brendan and i started walking out there on the on the road going back to where he thinks it happened and over going, you know, going past and beyond where you think it might have happened, just so we can see everything. But there was nothing. There was nothing obvious. We literally expected to see Looking some shivs yeah. sticking out of the ground that someone had put in there and set it up to, you know, sabotage someone's tires. Because two tires in a row like that, that fast, what the heck happened? And they were seriously yeah. punctured and losing air immediately and blowing it out fast. So there are big holes. Yeah, it was, and it was. Uh, they were both like in the same relative spot, so we knew it was one thing that flattened both of them. But when we walked out there, there was nothing obvious, nothing really. Everything just looked like rocks. You know, we saw a few little items here and there, but nothing that would flatten the tires. We're like, eh, <laughs> don't have no right. idea what what caused this. And so you guys got to play it safe, like Brendan's saying. And you know what? As Brendan and I were walking there and watching the sky with the clouds and seeing that you know this is going to be a good sunset probably, and we're going to miss it. You think about all the photography we do for Photog Adventures and all the photography we miss because of the misadventures. And I think it, it, I decided it came down to this. Photog Adventures, the name of it says it all. We say the entire word for adventures. We're always going to have an adventure, but we're not always going to do photography. And so we've only say part of the word photography, Photog. So Photog, part of photography, adventures, complete adventures. We're always going to have an adventure, but we're not always going to get our photography in. So I guess we're just living up to our name. <laughs> yeah, because we definitely didn't make it for sunset. Uh, you know, luckily Tim's trailer was set up for him to have perfect um, night out there alone. He had oh, everything right? with him that he's camping with. So his trailer is part of his truck. He just pops the top. He's already got warmth. He's got food. He's got you know, blankets and places to sleep and all that stuff. So he brought um, his bed with him that he was sleeping in anyway mm-hmm. for the whole trip. And it was with so him on this road. We had to take tires. We had to take at least one tire back to get it repaired so we can get at least a spare and a new repaired tire back on there to get him out of there. And that was just crazy. So he stayed out there for the night. We um, had a two hour drive he, going back on the crappy road for 18 <laughs> miles and then back to our campsite only to see that nothing around us is open until the morning. Man, it was just just crazy. So we had to sleep it and uh, he had to sleep there and he had to get up the next morning and the place still wasn't open in time. So at sun, sunrise, we just decided we're going to get the dunes, hit the dunes, get a sunrise there and then go into the tire shop and get those uh, tires sorted out. And, and then Jeff was going to drive out there and rescue him. So. And don't you think... Yeah. The sunrise at Mesquite Sandunes, sorry, Tim, because we love you, and we're sorry about to say what we're about to say. That morning, the sunrise at the sand dunes, wasn't that the peak moment highlight of the entire trip? It kind of was. I mean, there was zero clouds in the sky, but because of that, we had this crazy, awesome, crisp sunlight. Once it rose over that mountains and just hit those dunes, you had about five to ten minutes of just these crazy, sharp shadows 
between the edge of the dune that was getting hit by the sand and the shadow side of the dune. And you just you could create create so many compositions and have so much shadow playing with light and the shapes and it was just it was just awesome. And before even the sun crested over the mountains, we were getting great light because that oh, whole yeah. horizon was wide open. So as it began to glow, it just lit indirect light right into the area that we were. And we could see the contrast between the sides of the, you know, the shape of the dunes. Mm-hmm, and it looked mm-hmm. really great even then. And when it finally came out and we saw the really nice golden light on the dunes, it was magic. It was just magic. And when we came out the next day and we had clouds, it was so different. And so with this morning, with Mm -hmm. all that light hitting it, despite not having clouds, but because it had all that light hitting the dunes and we had all the great contrast, it was the highlight to me. Other situations that we had been in were were okay and they were great and they're fine, but the compositions that we were able to create, the the S-curves, the beauty of these dunes was just too much for me. It was too fantastic. And, oh, having mentioned... The fact that it was so windy the two nights before, it really cleaned up the dunes. Feet print, Mm -hmm. evidences of man walking around this place, they were all gone. And we were the first three people out there, you, me, and Jeff, to walk on these dunes. And so we had a completely blank canvas all in all these dunes. And it's just something that you can't get. You can't predict that you're going to go out to Mesquite Sand Dunes and have a, a windstorm come through at 30 to 20 mile per hour winds and clean up for you. It's like they took a, a giant Etch-A-Sketch that is the sand dunes at Mesquite and they shook it and all those trails and lines were just disappeared and it's a blank canvas, it's clean and now you can get a really, really crystal awesome shot of all of these ridges and it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. The next morning without the sand change and with the clouds, it was nearly nothing compared to what we had the night that that morning that first morning yeah yeah and the thing is with the dunes you got to walk you've got to walk further out if you're going to get if you want more pristine dunes you've got to go further into the dunes which is not easy to do no it's not uh, which can be quite exhausting and so uh to really take advantage of the dunes is if you luck out and have a windstorm man you don't have to walk very far past your past the parking lot to really get some good Get shapes and clean, clean dunes. And the best part is you get that light hitting the face of it in front of you, and you can see the you got a good kind of a perpendicular angle to where the light's hitting the dunes, so you can see the best of both worlds. Plus, you have all those dunes in front of you and in your frame still, and you can see the big dune and you can see the small dunes. And they just what's crazy about these dunes when they hit get hit with this light, you look at them and everything's so soft. It looks mm-hmm. like it's been painted in. Even though you're looking at it with your own eyes, you wonder if it's been Photoshopped. You're like, is this Photoshopped? It's my own eyes, and I feel like it's been Photoshopped. <laughs> I'm just realizing. That's what's so fun about the dunes, you know? I'm just realizing right now that I have my mic a little turned away from my voice, and even though I'm really loud in my ears, I can tell that it sounds better right now. So apologies for an hour of hearing me without good audio quality. I think it was good good but now i think it's a lot better so man i'm sorry you hear a difference if you notice the difference i I apologize to you guys man okay so anything that went really really well we just glowed over how cool it was but what was tough about the actual photography of doing the dune photography what'd you experience Um, it's mm, definitely a challenge in a way that uh i've never shot really shot dune photography before in the daytime we tried some milky way stuff with with dan a little while back but uh you know, the dunes are tricky because you really want to get that good contrast between the light and the shadow. 
And um, that does happen a little bit before sunrise, but then once that sun hits, man, it hits hard and you've got some crazy good contrast. But then as the sun starts to rise, you have the challenge of the, the rise of the sun rising over the dune you're shooting and then the light starts spilling over. And yeah, you can get the textures, but then you don't get that crazy awesome contrast as you had before. And so you really got to find like, um, like every like 10 minutes, I find myself like finding a new composition because uh, the light changes and it changes everything. Yeah. The shadows, the shadows shift. And all of a sudden you've got cool things over here and then the shadow shifts some more. And then all of a sudden you've got more texture here. And it's just like, it's really, I mean, you just run around photographing everything. You just have a heyday. I mean, it's just like, right. it was nuts, you know? And the challenge for me out here, I mean, the, it's not like it's a huge challenge, but it was a requirement practically because focus stacking is necessary. If you want to get some of the neat textures that are right in front of you on top of everything else, I was shooting at F 16. And so I had plenty of depth of field, but still I had mm. things in my foreground that I wanted because I was on the dune. I was inside the shape of a dune and my frame began with the dune, you know, racing into the picture. And so that very first inch or two, let alone foot needed to be in focus in my shot. And so I had to focus, I had to focus stack and there was no other way. And so I'm trying to focus stack in a way that I'm covering every base, but it's really easy focus stacking versus some other weird rock shapes and bush shapes where, you know, you have focus stack here, focus stack there and focus stack here, but then you're missing that one intermediate focus stacking where it has like that in-between moment where these things are in focus in a way that transition well when you mask them together. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get things that are entirely out of focus or entirely in, and then when you try and mix them together, you get the weirdness that you have to then paint in with a very finely tuned mask. And I don't want to do that much work in Photoshop. I just want to take them easily right. and stack them. So instead of doing like 16 stacks um, with this terrain, it's very even and easy going. And so just three or four would really do the trick, at least, you know, speaking now without having processed all of those images. And so, man, mm-hmm. it's just really, really fun out there. I loved my morning at the dunes and I just I can't glow enough about how pretty the mesquite sand dunes can be in the sunrise. Wow. Definite moment yeah, yeah. you should all take advantage of. And Jeff was even saying there's even two other areas of sand dunes in the park um, that are a little, little bit less accessible, but because of that, um, they're less frequented and you can actually maybe get some cleaner dunes and stuff like that. So that'll be fun to go back and explore some more because the park is huge. I mean, there's yeah. so much terrain in that park. It's just massive. And even in the four days we had there, we didn't even feel like we even scratched the surface. It was just nuts. Yeah, absolutely. And because of the windstorms and causing problems, we weren't getting out there. And after that sunrise, we had Tim to go pick up. But then Jeff was saying, you know what? You guys don't have to come with me to go do it. We'll just drive back with Tim. And so we thought, well, okay, we can work on some things. And Brendan and I just stayed back at the trailer, and we realized we weren't going to work on things. We were just going to rest. We were exhausted. Mm-hmm. We were kind just of took it easy. Just it just gets so tiring so fast with long drives out to these places and barely any sleep, and then you are out up early, awake late, and it's just oh, photography is a blast, but it can be quite a, a knock to your system of sleepiness and feeling alert and awake. I'm still recovering yeah. from it right now. We've only been back for two days. So right. that night we waited all day long and Tim and Tim and Jeff were going to come back towards the end of the evening. So we knew that we would probably be going out for a sunrise sunset alone. 
And we had a friend coming because Brent Huntley was going to join us. He lives in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Coming out to, to Death Valley is really not too much of a drive for him. So he decided he's going to come out and join us. And he made it just in time for us to do a sunset. And then we waited a little bit to see if Jeff and Tim could make it. And we finally heard from them. And we knew, okay, he told me, if I'm not back by 530 or 5 o'clock, come get us. We lost another tire. We need some help getting back in. Come find us. And so I hadn't heard from him by 4.30, and I'm thinking, man, dude, should we just go now? Should we just go now and get take get them taken care of because who knows where they are? They sh- they were thinking they'd be back by 2.30, and so 5 o'clock was extra time. Pretty late, yeah. And uh, we're wondering now two hours in, are they stranded with an extra tire flat, and I just needed to go get them because for some reason I just haven't heard from them. And – when Brent and I and Brendan finally heard from them, they're good. They're good to go. They're on their way back. We took off to do the sunset, and we did the cracks again. And like we told you earlier, they're really close to where we camped, so it was really easy to do, but then also really terrible because we got out of the car with literally three minutes to spare, and I watched the light change as I walked out to my position that I thought I was going to try first. Eh, it was a waste for that, but then you guys were getting more, and your 100 to 400 lens that you borrowed from Jeff that night it turned yeah. out pretty well. Is there anything more about those shots and how they turned out shooting towards the west that you want to tell us was a challenge or went really well before we go on to You know, our it was just really fun. Thing? It was just really fun to have that reach, you know, to go from 100 that's uh still a little wide on a full frame camera. I mean, I the, the first morning of the dunes I had my 100 on there only. And so um I have definitely different uh, compositions and so I was kind of familiar, kind of already not really familiar but um what's the word i was comfortable with the 100 millimeter length and then to be able to zoom in to to 400 and really get that good reach and to really compress the scene was really fun to play around with those lower level of rocks and the cracks stuff like that so i don't know if there's anything really portfolio wise in there but it was just fun to to be able to zoom all the way into the mountain peaks and get some of the sunset happening behind it uh because there was nothing really i could get with a wide angle would just look like boring you know Mm -hmm. so it's kind of fun to have that extra reach and play around with that it's a really fun lens to play with yeah awesome absolutely i just ended up walking around um a lot of things going on in my life right now and so i was really tired i was on the phone the whole time once the light died i just got on the phone and i was talking and it is just uh that ended the trip really that was our last photographic moment for the trip because we had no Milky Way, clouds were up, and then we should have actually gone because the clouds weren't actually that bad. And then the sand dunes, they had clouds. Oh, no, I take that back. That Milky Way was definitely cloudy. It was the previous night Milky Way Mm -hmm. that I should have gotten out, and I really, really, really wish I had because we ended up with only one morning of Milky Way the entire trip, and I was bummed. We had four mornings, and we only got one in, so that was a bummer. That last morning, we had the clouds, and then we went back to the sand dunes with Tim this time. And because of the clouds on the horizon blocking the direct light, we didn't get any really good direct light that we had the, the day before. Yeah, true. But true. we did have some sky and some interest in the sky, which was fantastic. It just forced me to shoot a different direction than I wanted to with those S-curve lines. And I found another one that I feel like in the wide-angle perspective – it did at least give me some S-curves going right and left and some interest, but they didn't really guide me to the best part of the sky. And the sky that I had was yellow and blue and kind of a purple in some of the clouds, but nothing more intense than that. 
How did your shots turn out on that last morning? Yeah, I actually found some similar um, compositions of the dunes, and I was able to shoot towards, you know, the sun was rising. The, uh, what's funny is it's disorienting because in you, in the Salt Lake Valley, we're always got the mountains to our east. And so when I see mountain ranges like that in Death Valley, I just imagine that's the east, but the and that the sun was rising to the south. And so it felt really <laughs> disorienting out there. As I was shooting, probably at the north, but it felt like the east, and so it was just really weird. And so, <laughs> but the clouds are still really cool because that 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 sunrise coming over, you know, the east and hitting those clouds in the north where I was facing, ended up hitting some nice yellows and pinks and get the blue sky behind it. So I had six, and the clouds weren't like too heavy above us, so it's actually they're broken up a little bit. And so some of my images start, turned out pretty good. I actually processed a few of them just the last night with a little bit of time that I had after importing them all. And, um, yeah, I started working on one. I was like, ah, oh, well, this is turning out pretty good. So I lightened up the sand and darkened the sky down a little bit to give it some more drama to even things out. And it just really started to come together. So um, really cool shot, really cool textures. The, I like the sky um, a little bit more because it just gives more vibrance and interest to the image in general. And so, yeah, something something good might come out of that, out of that morning. Sweet. Awesome. Anything specific about your photography that you did differently or had a challenge with? Well, day one, I did mention earlier, day one, I did use the 100 millimeter uh, exclusively. I just put the 100 millimeter macro on there. And so I was just shooting really close sand and really distant sand and compressing the image and getting some really cool images that way. But uh, the next day with the clouds, I actually went with the wide angle. So mm. I actually did put my, um, my Tamron 15 to 30 on there and did that. So it was very different photography wise than the first morning. And it's kind of cool to have that, um, you know, to have that difference to really try something totally different the next day in the same area gives it a lot of a lot more creativity and yeah, keep th- keep things fresh. Yeah, right on. And I said earlier that that sunset was kind of our last chance, but no, it was this morning or this morning we had some really mm-hmm. good photography and that was our last opportunity there. Jeff and Tim were leaving. Tim had to go into Pahrump to get his tires replaced. He couldn't even just right. drive home in California where he wanted to because of this issue so he had to go backwards just to go forwards we said goodbye to jeff and tim at the sunset campground and a wonderful wonderful four-day trip out there was fantastic amazing loved it thank you again jeff and tim for letting us hang out with you guys because brendan and i don't have any facilities like you guys have and it was fantastic having warm meals every night just meals were fantastic I keep saying fantastic. Is that even like a compliment anymore? If I say fantastic again, it was tremendous. It was amazing. It was delicious. It was very, very good. It was just great. It was great. Great to have the company and great to have, uh, you know, everything that came with with it. Yeah, I can't wait to do it again with you guys. Let's go ahead and take our last break of the podcast and we'll come back and do gear time and tip of the week. Great news, everybody. Great news. We have permits in place. We have workshops that are getting scheduled and prices are being finalized for our adventure workshops this year. We are doing Goblin Valley Natural Bridges and Goosenecks workshop that's coming out this week. It's going to be available to buy and schedule. And the Crater Lake and Bandon workshop that's going to be out. These are all Milky Way workshops. Yeah, it's a great way to share the craft and to experience that and have someone come along and experience a great uh, joy of experiencing the Milky Way with us. So it's... uh 
one more way to say experience. I just love to say experience. (laughs) So if you guys are interested in coming out with us where we have a six to one instructor to student ratio, a workshop where there's 12 people and we're going to take you to all these great spots, help you do light painting, help you make sure you get a great and awesome, sharp Milky Way image and come out with us. Check it out. Photogadventures.com forward slash adventures. See you guys. Hey guys, welcome to the last part of the podcast. So gear time today, we're going to talk about my SD card that failed on me during my, uh, it was, I think it was the second day. Brent was there when it happened. You tried to use that sunset, I remember, and you realized, oh no, this card won't load. Yeah. So I had switched out cards at one time and I'm not, and I am trying to think back of what the series of events that happened that might have triggered this. So I think what happened is I turned, I did a long exposure and I didn't want to um, wait for like, I don't know, 15 seconds or whatever. I was like, I'm missing my shot, my light, you know, so I I turned the camera off quickly. And uh, that's probably not the best thing to do, you know. So if you find yourself with camera settings that are way off for the next day, that you know, because they were set for nighttime and I went to go shoot during the daytime and settings are completely different. So um just let that shot finish and close up. That's what my suggestion is because I think I might have caused some kind of error to happen in the card and the format of the card got lost. So it didn't actually know what was going on. So when I put it in again, it wanted to be formatted. And so that night I put the lap, I put the card into my laptop and it says, you know, do you want to format this card? I was like, no, I want to read it, you know, but I couldn't find it. And so um, I decided to shelf this. I'm going to worry about this later. Um, and so when I got home, I actually tried a few things. So there are some recovery software. I did run that first. And it, what it did is it ran like half a day and it recovered all the files from my Oregon trip that I had deleted. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and then I realized there was only about 40 images that I took on this card before it failed. And so it got all the 2,000 images from Oregon and the 40, 40, car, 40 you know images that I had taken um, from this trip. And I didn't need all that. <laughs> and so so the one last thing that I tried was, you know, in Mac OS X, I've got a Mac Pro that I use, and I put the card in the card reader. I then went to uh, – well, it was already in the card reader. I mean, I, I, I rescued it using some rescue software um, that's available. Um, and it did a great job. But I decided to run the, the disk, disk first aid on the card to see if by chance, you know, this would fix it. If it was just a matter of uh, some little bits being out of the way and the format just got, you know, read wrong. And so I put it into the disk utility. I ran first aid and then it said disk was fixed. I was like, no way, really? And so I ejected the card, put it back in, mounted it. And then sure enough, the 40 images or so from my Death Valley trip were right there. And I could import them. I was like, that's amazing. So I guess the tip with this fail that I learned is that if you have a Mac um, OS operating system laptop or desktop or have a friend with a Mac and your card happens to fail, try not to do anything with the card. Don't reformat your camera. You can save those images either by recovery software or you can maybe just fix the card by putting in put it in the Mac system, running disk first aid, hit repair, and you never know. You could be lucky like I did and just be able to repair the image, uh, or re- sorry, repair the SD card real fast, and then you'll be done. And you can load your images, import them. And then after I imported them and I was happy with the images that I had saved, I then put the card back of the camera, did a low-level format, and then we'll try that card again and hopefully um, there's not any more errors. So 
Uh, I've got a dual slot camera, and I'm going to order an FD, a compact flash card as a backup, as a con- like a constant rolling backup. But I'm going to use that with my SD card because now that one of them failed, I'm having less trust. So I'm having trust issues now with my SD cards. I'm going to run them as a constant backup with, with the dual cards in my camera. And then I'm going to go from there. So obviously, if I would have had a compact flash as a backup in my camera for this trip, I wouldn't be so concerned. I could just format the card and I'd still have my original images, but I didn't have that. So that's where I'm going to change things and order a compact flash so I can have that as a rolling backup. Honestly, I'm afraid of that happening to me. And yeah, I have multiple SD cards, but it's not so much that I need to be thinking, yeah, yeah, I have extras, so I'll be fine when they break. I just don't want them to ever break. I mean, who wants to have in the middle of a trip something go wrong and you lose those pictures? There's plenty of times during that trip that I would have been fine if I lost the pictures, but man, other times, oh boy. Okay, so anyway, tip of the week, guys. I have been thinking about this early season Milky Way and the challenges that we all have, and I keep talking about it, but in different places, like the Milky Way course or on the Astrophotog podcast. I'm not sure how many of you have heard this and feel like you've heard it enough. But the pin-to-pin geodetic info on PhotoPills is fantastic right now because it tells you where the Milky Way core is, which what's happening is the Milky Way core is not a, you know, there's no designation for it. It's just the stars, the closest stars to the black hole that is the Milky Way core. And the very center of our Milky Way galaxy, there is recently discovered a black hole and it is named Sagittarius A, I think, based on the fact that it's closest to a star, Sagittarius A. Well, the Sagittarius constellation and all the stars around there, those names and those names that they give for these stars are all the closest to the center stars. And so I think what's happened on PhotoPills is they picked one of those Sagittarius stars. And with that Sagittarius star, when it is finally above the horizon, that's when the Milky Way core is above the horizon. And so based on that, we know that there's, imagine an orange on the horizon, and then the bottom of the orange where it has the the navel of the orange, that part right there is the center. And so if you're imagining holding that orange with the navel facing your eye and bringing it up above like a desk, you see a large part of that orange before you actually see the navel. And then you see the navel, but then even then, the entire Milky Way core is still dipped halfway below the horizon. And so you have to wait for some time for that entire thing to get higher and higher and higher. And when you look at the degree number that it actually is, it seems like it's crazy low. And yes, it is low when you judge it by, you know, 10 degrees is by your fist. But understand that when something's that far out there, you're going to have a very visible Milky Way core. And so right now is a fantastic time to still see the Milky Way. When March comes up, get out there. Get out there and get to get to the Milky Way because it's a fantastic beginning of the season. There's no reason to hold off, but you will want to decide where you're going based on the pin-to-pin geodetic info in PhotoPills. And I say that for those of you who never heard that term before, it's basically saying if you've seen the PhotoPills app and you're standing in this location and that's your red pin, you can tell your you can tell the app to say, hey, from here on this red pin to the point of this mountain over here, you put a black pin on the top of that peak of the mountain. You can say, what is the difference between these two locations? Um, do we have a high degree of angle? Do we have a low degree of angle? It'll actually give you the apparent angle difference between those two spots. So in that apparent angle, you can say, okay, if I'm standing here and I have the Milky Way core at that height, is it gonna clear the object? Now the object had better be 
terrain because it's not going to tell you anything about man-made. The terrain is going to be blocking you up until this degree and then anything above that degree is going to be visible to the eye. So in Death Valley we had those mountain ranges and you're thinking okay at Badwater could we see the Milky Way? Well unless we hike out very very far and bring that mountain range down down on the horizon, that Milky Way core was blocked for all morning long. We, we could not have seen it. But out at the cracks and out at the mud area, the mudflat area, we could see the Milky Way core from the point of like 3.30 a.m. until 4.30. And so you have to know what time you should get out to a location and use the PhotoPills app, use the pin-to-pin geodetic info. If you're still confused as to what I'm talking about, don't worry, we're actually a YouTube channel too. So if you go to our YouTube channel, Photo adventures you'll see my astrophotog video about pin to pin geodetic info and I explain it in full there in like a quick nice tight video but there's also a live webinar on there that I talk about the pin to pin geodetic info when the photo pills webinar so check all those resources out you will be able to learn more and just in this early season Milky Way make sure you're aware of what time your Milky Way is visible to you and don't plan a spot based on a cool foreground element that actually puts you in a situation where You know, the Milky Way core was never visible until astronomical twilight began. So be smart, plan well. Early Milky Way season is a very low Milky Way. And so plan on it and make sure you plan around it. Yeah, that's a great tip. I mean, sometimes we just go out there and we want to, we figure these mountains are going to be great. But then sometimes like in this case, the Death Valley Mountains, they're just too high. And the Milky Way, it took like a half an hour before the Milky Way rose over those mountain range. So not the best uh, scenario when you're too close to them. Right, and we're going to talk more about that same situation when we do our podcast for Joshua Tree, and we'll get that out right away this week and deliver it to you guys so that you guys have that since we didn't have a podcast last week. So you guys will hear about that more soon. But fantastic trip. Again, fantastic. I say fantastic. Thanks, everybody who hosted us and took care of us out there. Thanks, Brent, for joining us out there for a night. Sorry you couldn't stay for a Milky Way the next morning, and it wasn't much of a purpose to do a Milky Way. Mm, kind of a bust. Yeah, yeah but oh, what a fan- fantastic. I've got to say something else. I was stoked. I was stoked about the trip. I'll say that. I'll just not worry about the cost of saying stoked anymore because I'm saying oh, yeah. fantastic too many times. So thanks, guys, for joining us. Episode 70. If you guys want to see any of our pictures that we're talking about this, I'll continue to load them to our show notes over at photogadventures.com forward slash EP70, episode 70. And please check out our workshops. Go to the Adventures workshops and find out if any of those match up well for you as we add them to the site this week and next week. And hopefully we'll hear back from Capitol Reef, Escalante, and Salt Flat soon so that we can put those up for sale. So thank you guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, patrons. Um, We owe you guys a lot, and we appreciate everything that you have done for us, and hopefully you guys are getting the most. I have stickers to send out to you. I have two different sizes now to send you, and I'm going to do it all at once. And anyone who's bailed on their patron this last month or the month before or even the last six months, if you were ever, ever a patron, we're going to be contacting you and making sure we have your address so we can send you the sticker because we really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Hope you have a great week and we'll catch you later. See you guys.